The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of its hosts, guests, or callers, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of WTBR-FM, its management, other producers, or sponsors. Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units, stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, April 28th, 2023, and this is another live new episode of the show. Uh, If you're tuning in, my name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this occasionally weekly radio show. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio this morning by sound engineer extraordinaire, Lieutenant Matthew Hill. Good morning, Chief. And we have another special guest joining us, but I'm going to wait to introduce our guest until we get a check of the weather, and I'll talk about a couple news items. So let's get the weather first. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, April 28th. Greetings. Today, partly cloudy, with a high of 62. Tonight, cloudy, a low of 42, with some rain. Tomorrow, cloudy, a high of 48, with rain. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more of the forecast education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jay Klein for WTBR, and hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! All right, so just a couple of worthy news items, uh, two from today's Berkshire Eagle and one that has not been shared publicly but is newsworthy for the department, definitely. Uh, From the front page of today's Berkshire Eagle, um, the FBI served a search warrant on Ryan Salome's Maryland home uh, related to the ongoing investigation of FTX. Noteworthy because of the connection between Mr. Salome and the Berkshires. He's from here and he is a business owner and a restaurateur in Lenox, and so we're tracking that to see how that may affect us here locally. And then the other news story I wanted to draw attention to, uh, just in the ongoing investigation regarding um, National Guardsman uh, Tejera, uh, more information coming out about some of his online presence, including some of the stuff not related to the Pentagon leaks or the uh, confidential or classified file leaks, um, more concerning regarding some of the stuff he was looking into. Um, But you can go check that out. Uh, I'm shocked by some of these revelations that this guy was able to qualify for a uh, for a uh, secret top secret clearance i know when i was a very young uh, officer candidate when i was applying for a top secret clearance what they dug up on me and that was before the internet so i'm kind of surprised that some of this stuff got missed um and then the last newsworthy item uh it has again it's it's internally it's been discussed internally but um after a lot of a lot of disappointments and a lot of pressures and several years delay. Uh, the department has received approval from the administration to expand into some nearby overflow space to our headquarters. So over the next several months, we'll start the um, process of uh, an office build out and uh, transfer and we'll be moving nearly all of our administrative functions and the bulk of our investigative functions to a, another downtown location that's close by to 39 Allen. That's uh, going to be a huge breath of relief and fresh air for all of our personnel because it will give us a little bit of space um, within the building to uh, actually let, say, like the patrol commanders have their own offices and stuff like that. So uh, as that develops, we'll, we'll keep you posted. So my guest this morning, our guest this morning is um, my academy classmate, friend, a one-time partner. Uh, Sergeant Mark Strout. Sergeant Strout commands the department's drug unit. And after Sergeant Strout uh, agreed with Lieutenant Hill to appear and be a guest this morning, he informed me yesterday that he was happy to be a guest, but he intended to turn the tables on me. So apparently, um, I'm not conducting this interview today. (laughs) So welcome, Sergeant Strout. Thanks, Chief. Thanks for having me. So... (laughs) Yeah, we went back, we went to the academy, started in 1995, right? Yep. And uh, it was, there was 
five of us that were supposed to go. We're five that we're supposed to go. Yeah, wound up with three of us. And we were just talking the other day about a something that happened on the way back from the academy one day. <laughs> See, prior in years past, you used to get sworn in as a police officer prior to going to the academy. It, well, our our academy class was actually the reason that that law got changed. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. just real quick, because we, we don't want to go down this road for too long, but we'll just give a quick quick synopsis of what happened that day. We were coming back from the academy. We were coming down South Street. Yep. I was driving, driving the old red LTD Crown and, Vic. And it was late. We were coming back from a night training yep. in a snowstorm. Where, what were khakis or was it sweats we were wearing? We were wearing cruiser jackets over PT gear. And, and when we went to the academy, we weren't allowed to wear, like, the defensive tactics uniforms that they have now. We did DT in gray sweatpants, right. T-shirts, and gray sweatshirts. So you couldn't put your belt on with any keepers. Right, right. So, <laughs> so we're, yeah, yeah. We're, coming up, we're coming up South Street, and I don't know which one of us, which one of the three of us, we noticed the guys coming out of the, uh, what was it, the congregational church down there? I think we all noticed it at the same time because we turned onto Church Street to kind of take that shortcut back into the neighborhood to drop me off at my apartment and the guys were coming over the snowbank on the north side of the road stepping into the unplowed road carrying a television and not the not the modern televisions that you know the thin ones that we have now these oh, were the these were the, this, the big big tv this was a cathode ray tube television <laughs> so yeah. we hadn't been in the academy that long but i mean obviously that was reasonable suspicion that something was going on so uh yeah, you were driving, and I think when we were talking about this story last week, one of the one of the most telling things about it was we were driving a police car, and we'd been driving well, an unmarked police car, and we'd been driving it back and forth to the academy for a few weeks at this, but nobody had ever taught us to use the radio. Right. So we didn't know how to communicate with the department. Right. So I mean, we were, we were in shouting distance of Thirty Nine Allen Street, but you know. It wasn't going to matter. Nobody knew we were out there. Nobody knew we were coming. And we didn't know how to get up on the air and, and ta tell them. So um, you threw the brakes on. We wheeled up to them. And we bailed out. <laughs> and they saw the police car stop. And they saw these two guys bail out of the opposite sides of the car. And they threw the television set into a snowbank. And they took off running. And we took off after. <laughs> In custody. And we caught them. And we caught them. And, uh... Between the three of us in the passenger compartment of the car, we had one duty bag and one gun belt with one pair of handcuffs because all the rest of the stuff was in the trunk of the car. And so, I mean, we didn't have any weapons. We didn't have any, there were absolutely no firearms, inert pepper spray. Uh, I don't think we had any batons. And so, to my absolute shock, when um, Curtis and I cornered them and I ordered them to stop, they did. And then I didn't know any different. I didn't know any better. The, I only knew one immobilization technique. So I ordered them into the standing compliant handcuffing position. And they did it. Uh, and then I told Curtis to go get another pair of handcuffs. <laughs> so we cuffed them up in the parking lot of the Pittsfield co-op. And then you got on the cell phone. And right. you, called, you called dispatch to tell them where we were and send us some help. And there, I remember when we got back to the back to the station. They're like, "Why didn't you call us over the radio?" I'm like, "We didn't know how we to know use, how the, use radio. the radio. <laughs> we didn't know how to use it. We didn't know what to say." Yeah, and we I, we forgot the most important part of that story. So, uh, 1995, it might have been early 1996, um, under the Commonwealth Mass regulations that dictate the conduct of the police academy. We were sworn in as police officers in the city of Pittsfield, but we were strictly prohibited from exercising any police powers as recruit officers in the academy. And so the mere fact that we did it was a class one violation rating expulsion from the academy. Yeah. And the next day when we're standing at attention in front of uh, Sergeant Cox and Chief Milani. Fighting for our jobs. Thinking that we're going out the door. This is it. Yeah. And then uh, I think it was I think it was Sergeant Cox actually who, because um, there was a couple trips back and forth to the staff instructor's office, and then the director came down and basically unloaded on us. Uh, and so we got called back to the staff instructor's office, and Sergeant Cox shared with us that at the same time the director was writing up the class one violations to kick us out of the academy, he took a phone call from Captain Boyer, right. who was not a fan of mine. I had worked <laughs> for him as a civilian, and we didn't get along. 
Um, but Captain Boyer had been given a directive by Chief Lee, and uh, you know he, he followed his directive. And so the chief told the captain that he was going to decorate us. He was going right. to commend us, and he wanted the commendation served at the academy. So Captain Boyer had to call the director and tell him that the chief wanted us commended. And so at the same time he was typing up the class one violations, he received this call from the captain that we were being decorated and he couldn't figure out a way to kick us out for something that the city was decorating us for. So he had to call down to the staff instructor's office and tell them uh, to let us go back to class. Right. And the director was not happy. Not happy at all. Sergeant Cox and Chief Milani were thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. So let's go back. Yeah. Let's, so you, you're taking the, the final step here to retire. What was what went into that decision? What were, what were the major things you just said that uh, I've had? It's time to go. It, so I've talked about some of this in previous interviews. I had actually started thinking about going early um, a couple of years ago. And it wasn't necessarily that anything had happened. It was just that I looked forward and I could anticipate that there was going to be some changes um, locally. And, you know, I, I had already been put on the post commission. I saw that there was going to be some changes coming down the pike locally. I had already been um, through a, a lot of high profile local changes. And I wasn't I wasn't sure I was willing to to just continue to do it to be right. to be out there and so i broached the subject and uh my wife christina she was like you've been here a long time you've invested a lot of time uh, you're very close you're you deserve to get your full pension i don't want you to talk about going early so i i stopped it i stopped any planning in any process and so that was um that was the case until uh it would have been last spring um we were you know we, we there was we, the department was in the news again um we, we were going through the um aftermath of the australia officer involved shooting and uh you know it, i'd been through ois's before that that's not that big a deal but the the just the the tone and the and the language it it was vicious right it, right. it was just vicious and uh, so we, we were out for a walk, and Christina stopped me in the middle of the walk. And he said, "I think you need to revisit that plan. You know, it might be time." And so that kind of sparked me thinking about it. And then later that summer, um, I went in for a physical, and it was not a good physical. It, it you know, there was it was concerning, and there was a couple other things um, that were were mental or medically related along those lines nothing nothing earth shattering just you know I, my doc looked at me and goes these are not these are not the numbers that i want to see and there's no other cause than your job right this right. is all this is all stress related so th- i started planning in earnest but i hadn't picked the date and a time and then uh the final uh, factor was when we were selected uh, to be pre-adopted foster parents for our son right and, right no, I just that that was the biggest deciding factor is I I don't want to be on call and traveling all the time um, with our new baby in the house. Right. Let's go back to so we got out of the academy and you, I think you went to midnights, right? I think I went to days. You went to midnights. Well, so when we got out of the academy, the department didn't have field training. Right. We didn't have the formal field training program. So they put us through what, at the time, you know, we used to call a break-in. And they had put a process in place, I think two classes before us, um, where instead of just breaking in and assigning you to a shift and giving you a break-in officer, they, they wanted to break us in on all three shifts and in the special units. Right. So we were scheduled to spend one month on each of the three shifts two weeks in either the DB or the detective unit and um, two weeks in the traffic unit. And I'm pretty, I don't, I'm pretty sure I went playing clothes first. Like I might've, I might've worked a couple days on midnights, but then I went into that right. rotation. Um, and so I did my playing clothes stuff and my traffic stuff up front. And then I worked through the three shifts. And then, you know, was, we're four months into it, and, I, and then we all ended up on midnight. Right. So four months into it. Is that when you got promoted? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> or is that when you wrote your book? Uh, it took a little. It took a little bit more time than that. Um, so I don't. You know what? It's so five of us were scheduled to go to the academy. Three of us went to the academy, and we all made it. Yeah. And two of us are still on the job. Right. Uh, but our classmate, he used to be very boisterous, and from from the minute we graduated. He kept telling people. He, he would just say it. He walked in and say, "I'm going to be the first black chief of police." So I'm going to be the chief of police, and you know, we'd all roll our eyes. He just he he, he was just a, a loud, uh, affable kind of jovial guy. But um, he he didn't even have a plan, right? And so I would listen to him, and I'd say, "If that's something that I even ever thought of," and I to be clear, I didn't ever think I would be the chief in Pittsfield. But I sat down in our first year on the job and I kind of plotted out, you know, in general, you got to be around about five years to make sergeant. Right. You know, you, you can test before that, but really to, to have a good bid. So I just, I wrote out a plan. I said, I'm going to test for sergeant at five, lieutenant at 10, captain at 15, and my goal is to be a chief somewhere in 20. And so the only one of those that I was not, I was on time for was sergeant. <laughs> sergeant. And what year was that? Like 2002? 2001. One, 2001. I think I, I went 2002. I got yeah. promoted in What year did you write the book in? So it got published in 2008. Um, but it, it was, I was working. Well, that's not fair. I did the research and the work when I was on my fellowship from 2003 to 2004 with no intention of writing a book. I w that was just my study product and my academic product from the process I was going through. And then when I became a shift commander in 2006, late 2005, early 2006, I was having uh, coaching sessions with one of my sergeants and the strategies that I was using based on my formal training and my experience up to that point, they weren't working. And so I, I frustrated and I had a lot of my notebooks from my fellowship in my desk in the lieutenant's office. So frustrated one day during one of these coaching sessions, I grabbed a section of notes and I said, when you go on your two days off, take these uh, and read them. And then when you come back, we'll talk about them. And to my surprise, that strategy worked. And so over the course of a couple months of having coaching sessions with this sergeant, uh, I shared essentially all of my notebooks you know, piece by piece with him. And what I didn't know was that he was making copies, which was fine, but he wasn't making one copy. He was making two. And that second copy he was sending to a cousin who worked in publishing. And so after they had all the, um, all the pages from my notebooks and, my, and the, the write-ups on them, they contacted me and said, you know, if you add some anecdotes and war stories to this, we can publish this thing. So I worked on it in 2006 2007 and it was published in 2008 and that went on to be the uh, bestseller for allen street for <laughs> i have no idea how many people in 39 allen have um have read or or, or purchased copies of that book it, it actually came up um i was at a deposition one day and an attorney was like do you require all of your people to read it i was like no absolutely not it's not you know i've had students in programs that it's on a recommended reading list but i've never asked anybody to read it right who bought the five copies of the book <laughs> my mother <laughs> so let's go so, down wait, there's an interesting anecdote about that book that doesn't have anything to do with my career at one point uh right before because it's not it's no longer in publication i re-released it self-published so it's still on amazon as a paperback but it's no longer published by kaplan and at one point right before they relinquished the rights to me I got a call from a friend. They're like, I want to buy a hard copy, a hardcover copy of your book. And I found a couple uh, you, copies that are new on Amazon, but they're like $900. And I'm like, it's a $14 book. Well, we did a little research. And apparently at some point, um, a case of those books got shipped to either Abu Dhabi or Qatar as part of like a UN police training mission. And they're sitting in an academy somewhere, but they, like, they're willing to sell them, but 
with the transportation costs that right. they're not willing to release them back over here. So I guess if you're in the UAE or Abu Dhabi, you might be able to go get one for cover price. But if you want it in the States, you got to have it shipped back. You can't get a Mark Wynn uh, baseball card for $3 on uh, eBay, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I've got one in my desk drawer you can have for free. <laughs> Let's go back to it. So when you were in patrol, I wanted to talk about some of your interesting calls. We're, we're, what would you say was like your funniest, your most interesting call you had? Um, well, so there's there's a few. Um, so I, we haven't really talked about it on the on the radio show at all. Uh, one of the reasons, so it, no, as a result of going to plain clothes pretty much right out of the gate, uh, even before I established uh, patrol presence. I had the good fortune, because the other thing we got to do for our first several years on is if we were during a period of the year where there wasn't a lot of vacations, they would allow us to apply to go back upstairs and right. do like a month-long rotation right. uh, back up in the drug unit. And I did that three, maybe four times in my, our first five years on. Um, but because of the way that planned out, I had the good fortune for my first five years on the job to do a considerable amount of part-time undercover work right so i would work a um a rotation my regular duty rotation and i'd get a communication from the lieutenant and say you know modified grooming for the next two or three days show up on this day uh look like a bum and then uh we're gonna put you back out and so you know a couple times a month maybe i would go do uh, undercover drug sales uh, partnered with uh with curtis at first and so when i think about interesting calls i I made a uh, hand-to-hand sale to a young lady uh, on Francis Ave, and she traded her um, she traded a car, uh, like a her her boyfriend's car, to us for like sixty dollars worth of crack. And then we got in the car and drove it away. And when she was being brought in through door one under arrest, she was complaining to the arresting officers about the two black guys that just stole her car and carjacked her on Francis Ave and we were driving her car through door four. Well, a few days later, I'm back in uniform and I take a call to the YMCA for a resident who wants to report that she was robbed in a drug rip. And so I go as the patrol officer to take this call and she's telling me in her report that it's the same that she just got robbed by the same two black guys who stole her car four days before okay. and so in her <laughs> statement to me about the purported robbery on like this sunday night she confesses to the entire deal from like thursday night right and so um you know that was an interesting when it went to court that was interesting it just made to, me think of something else so and i was talking about this the other day about the open air drug sales that we used to have like and think remember when we were getting i went curtis and i were there to pick you up out in front of your house on francis Ave, driving yeah. the same ltd so once again right winter winter academy so i'm coming out of my apartment on francis Ave. i'm carrying a large equipment bag i'm wearing pt gear and i got a police cruiser jacket on with ppd patches you guys pulling in the unmarked, I'm locking my front door to come down and get in the car. This guy comes strolling across Francis Ave and tries to sell me drugs in the parking <laughs> lot or in the driveway of my apartment with a police car there. Um, and I don't, I don't want this to sound dismissive because you, know, you work in the drug unit, you know. We, we deal with a lot of illicit narcotics in, in the city and in the county. But most of it has gone digital, right? It's all, all the transactions are, are done online or via um, devices. 90, 93, 94, 95, it was overt. Like I couldn't drive when I was with community policing, I couldn't drive from my apartment to my office without people jumping out in front of my truck trying to sell crack. Um, and so when we, when we got on the job, there was neighborhoods where 24 hours a day there was just street level drug hawking it, right. it was almost, it was like almost every corner we drive down and there'd be three four people out there just selling, selling down down at durant park formerly pitt park they they literally would like come out from opposite corners on columbus ave and have bidding wars right yeah it, it was wild so you got promoted to sergeant in 2001. Lieutenant, you went in what year? It was late 2005 or early 2006. 2005. What shift were you for the lieutenant? So I went straight to the day shift. 
So um, we, under the pre, under the two administrations ago, uh, there was there was a lot of bad blood between then Chief Riello and the mayor, and a, a lot of like public animosity and back and forth. And so at one point, um, our command ranks got eviscerated. They they eliminated a bunch of positions and um, demote a bunch of demotions. And so then when I went to Quantico in the fall of 2003, they made temporary promotion to fill my vacancy. And then there was a couple, uh, prom I think Lieutenant Dondi got moved and stuff. And then when I was gone, the mayor um, undid all of those. And so when I came back as a sergeant to go back to the day shift, there was no day shift lieutenant. The patrol uh, sergeants were reporting right to the patrol captain. Um, and so we ran without a lieutenant. I don't, it wasn't it wasn't that long, but I promoted into that slot and became the day shift lieutenant. All right. Well, 2007 is the year for uh, chief. Yeah, December 1st, 2007. Yeah. You and I had many discussions prior to that. Well, it, we we had a lot of discussions because it came out of the blue, right? right? So I went upstairs as a interim captain in July of 2007 um captain o'neill hadn't gone yet but he was burning up his time and he wasn't reporting to work on the right i mean he was I, I shared an office with him for several months but he he just wasn't reporting to work regularly so um chief riello decided he was gonna promote me early so i could take over some of the duties and just maintain some continuity so i go up as a captain in the first week of july and it was November 1st, so I hadn't been there four months. And he called me into his office to tell me he was leaving on December 1st. So we had four weeks to figure out a transition plan. And I had to make a decision. Like, I th he told me on the 1st, and I had to tell him and the mayor on the 2nd. Right. So, so as, as you, uh, what were your biggest challenges while you were a chief? Uh, let, me, let me phrase it another way. So what, were you, what do you think your biggest accomplishments were? We'll go that way. Let's well, you, you gave me a heads up that you were going to ask me that question, and I've been thinking about it. And it's it's hard to point to like one individual, you know, act or, or or instance. And so I think if I were to try to say what I'm most most proud of as the chief is refocusing and re-energizing the department's attention to training, um, just doubling down. And it was interesting because in my first year as chief doing the first round of budget development, um, you know, and, and, you know, God bless Mayor Roberto. I, I love him and I, I, I enjoyed working for him. But he had a very um, scarcity mindset approach to budgeting. And so it was like, give me a level funded budget, a level service budget, a 5% reduction, a 10% reduction. Like that was the instructions going into the budget process. And so uh, I had to do it, but all of my budgets that showed a reduction in staff showed an increase in training. And he questioned me on it, and he said, if, you're, if you have less people, you need less training. And I said, no, sir, I have to push back on that. If you're going to ask my people to do more with fewer personnel, they need to be better trained. And uh, fortunately, we never took the 5% reduction or 10% reduction, but he understood where I was coming from and he agreed to start increasing our training. Um, and you know, we've, we've seen tangible benefits from the increased focus on training right. across the board. How about your biggest re regrets and the things you wish you could have got done? <laughs> My biggest regret is so being a public figure, you have to learn not to make definitive statements and, and time to an end date. Cause I said more than once uh, when we first got the approval to start the new station planning process that I wasn't going to retire until I saw you know shovel in the ground, and that, that was a lie. <laughs> um, that that is by far my biggest like unaccomplished thing is that we didn't make more practice or more progress on the new station. Right. I think there were several roadblocks, obviously economies yeah. and budgeting and stuff like that that holds that back. It's. It, it, all of that, but it's also, you know, it's, it's climate and, and politics, right? right? We, we made a lot of progress and then essentially we were just told to stop working on it. Right. So. I know we were at one point where they were just going to give us a building. Yeah. 
and they were to- we were told to just worry about police work and not yeah. worry about a building. Well, I mean, there was a, so that story. I'm not going to name any names, but we basically had a building that would have been it, there was issues with it, but it would have been really good for us. And uh, elected officials at the time said they're focused on community policing. They shouldn't be in a building at all. It's a complete lack of understanding of what community policing right. is. All right, we got to pause for station identification and another uh, check of the weather and some PSAs. Here is your WTBR forecast. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Friday, April 28th. Greetings. Today, partly cloudy with a high of 62. Tonight, cloudy, a low of 42 with some rain. Tomorrow, cloudy, a high of 48 with rain. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more of the forecast education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Caleb Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at graylock.org. Missed an episode of your favorite show? Have no fear because we have podcasts. Type in wtbrfm.com forward slash podcast on your favorite browser and search for your favorite show. It's that simple. Pittsville residents, have you heard about Code Red? It's the city's emergency alert program, and it keeps you informed on the latest updates and notifications, including but not limited to weather-related emergencies, road closures, and water main breaks. So stay connected and be informed. Text Pittsville to 99411 to enroll or visit cityofpittsfield.org to sign up. Is your little one safe inside your vehicle? Is the child seat installed properly? Is it the correct seat for your child? Hi, this is Sergeant Mark Madeline with the Pittsfield Police Department, reminding you to please keep your children safe. Follow the safety seat manufacturer's recommendations for height and weight and check NHTSA's website or our Facebook page for recommendations. If you have a question or would like your seat installation checked, please contact our department at 413-448-9700, extension 575. Our officers are certified safety seat installers. Thank you. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Good morning. Welcome back to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, and available on most of your popular podcast platforms. If you're just joining us this morning, my name is Mike Wynn. I'm the Chief of Police here in the city of Pittsfield. I'm joined in studio by Lieutenant Matt Hill, who's running the soundboard. Good morning. And uh, my academy classmate and friend and colleague, Sergeant Mark Strout, who's been interrogating me about uh, my career path so far. So let's get back to it. So what do you got planned for the future, Chief? Um... So Christina made me promise that I wouldn't uh, that I wouldn't really start looking for a, a next chapter or next act until after January first when I came back from holiday leave, and that I wouldn't accept anything um, until after Labor Day. Just take a couple months. So we've got a trip planned to the beach uh, that we normally would go for five or six days. We're going to go for a little while longer because it'll be our first time taking uh, the baby. And uh, got to take a bunch of extra stuff, so just need a little bit, a little bit more time to kind of adjust to that different approach. And then, uh, hopefully, hopefully, the the rehab that I've been doing on my shoulder recently is gonna stick. It's it's shown some improvement. I've got a trip planned to back up to Maine to jujitsu camp at the end of the summer. Um, and then, you know, between those, just you know, trying to get out and enjoy uh, summer in the Berkshires. And then I, I do have a couple um, feelers out for some, uh, you know, tentative positions, basically doing some uh, either 
homeland security or emergency management teaching. Gotcha. You brought up the jujitsu, and I'm sure you've talked about that on here quite a few times. But that's got to be one of your one of your uh, favorite things that you got got going here at the police department. So we just did a um, just did a, a media opportunity with the Eagle on the law enforcement jujitsu or ledge program last week. We did a follow up uh, on that with uh, Eagle reporter earlier this week, and um, you know I I'm. I'm honestly surprised that that has gone as well as it has. Uh, and I've trained jujitsu off and on in, in some capacity since 2006. I've been a, a, a wrestler and a grappler since I was in high school. And the amount of misunderstanding or reluctance that for most of my career existed within the community about training outside of work and training and grappling in particular, it just never, I never understood and never made any sense. So um, I was excited to be able to introduce that concept in the pilot, pro pilot program in 2021. And then I was thrilled when it uh, expanded in 2022. Um, I'm, I'm really proud and excited. Three of our participants earned their blue belts uh, last month, which is an amazing accomplishment. And, um, you know, we've, we've been sharing the documentation from our pilot project with departments all over the country and our participants have been talking to their colleagues from other departments all over new england and it really is a model um, of, of what's possible with a good public-private partnership and a committed group of officers who want to get better and um, make things safer for themselves but also for for our subjects that we apprehend right most of our engagements wind up going to the ground anyway. I mean, so that's one of the things that actually uh, Captain Daldy brought it up. I, I didn't even bring it up. If you know, when we were in the academy, basically the concept was don't let the fight go to the ground. And if it does go to the ground, get back to your feet. And that sounds good. But realistically, nearly all of our fights go to the ground. And if you're not comfortable, because being on the ground is uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable and it's dangerous. So if you don't develop some degree of comfort in the uncomfortable, then you're going to panic. And that's when people get hurt. Right. Um, you know, our guys, and it, right now it's all guys, but our, our, our officers, men and women who have participated in the program, they'll speak, they're, they're much more comfortable in conflict situations. And what that means is because they're comfortable, they're less likely to escalate. Right. So, you know, they're, a, t a Tuesday or Thursday night on the mat when they might do three, four, five, six-minute rolls, that's a bad day in a conflict situation. If you've gone through that on a Thursday night and now you got to deal with a 15-second roll around with somebody on a Friday night, it's no factor. <laughs> right, right. It's a, so for the future of the police department, what would you like to see? Uh continued progress on, on all the cool things that we've managed to accomplish over the last 20 years. Um, the new station definitely has to happen. Um, See, I'm partial to the old one. It, uh, you and I have had this conversation yeah. that they're going to have to drag me out of that <laughs> one. I mean, there's been, I'm a third generation police officer, so there's been a strout coming in there but, since 1952. So. Yeah, and, and I get it. And law enforcement is steeped in tradition and we should be proud of our tradition. We should, <laughs> but the the facility, we've reached the point where the facility is limiting operations. Absolutely. Like I had to have a conversation with the captains last week. Uh, oh, I, I can say what it is. So we're rolling out the body cameras and the body camera vendor that we picked, the equipment that we picked, it has the capability of essentially live streaming, right? So a supervisor, we've got an incident going uh, popping off it's going off the rail somewhere the officers are responding the cameras are activated the supervisor has the ability through the the management platform to instead of just reviewing this stuff afterwards to actually go live and watch it as it's occurring and on some of our shifts when we don't have as much command or supervisory presence the ability to do that from headquarters has some value so we have to figure out you know how and when we want supervisors to be able to do that but the practical end of it is where do we put the monitor? So, cause we can't put it up on something that we already use. So we're talking about the space at the desk area and there's space for the monitor, 
but we don't think we can run another network cable. Like we've run out of space in right. the conduits. Um, we, we're so, because we, you have to remember, and it's in the justification studies that we wrote when we started the new station project, when 39 Allen was built, it was a, you know, a depression era uh, New Deal project, there was seven city departments in that building. We pushed all the other departments out. There were no women in the police department, so there weren't any female facilities. And we didn't have any cars. So, you know, it was still kind of like they were doing the patrol wagon thing and walking patrols. There was no computers. There was no copy machines or printers. There was no NCIC. All of this stuff that we now have to just use takes up space. All that space used to be space for people. Right. We didn't reduce the people. Right. We just reduced the, the hallways. Space. Now have become rooms. Yeah, and it's 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 not it's not sustainable. Um, and the other thing is, it's just you know we're committed to community policing. That means that we we want to be more open. We want to be transparent. We would like to be able to do some community programming in our facility. We we can't. We did the community academy a few years ago. It was pre-pandemic, and we had to move it off-site because the building's not ADA compliant. And we had a, a student with physical disabilities. They can't get in the building. So we, you know, we can turn it into a museum. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So for the future, keep working on getting a new building, expanding. So Captain Dolly and I have talked, and it was one of the conversations um, the mayor and I had with both, <coughs> both captains when we met with them. Uh, I came, as you know, we've talked about, I came up through training and tactics and so that's my background that's my particular skill set and that's my bias and so in my 15 plus years in command we've dedicated a lot of time and attention to training and we've evolved and improved a lot on the special response team and some of our critical incident responses and the training we do on that and i'm not going to say that that has come at the expense of the other divisions but the other divisions certainly didn't receive the same amount of time and attention from me that those areas did because I don't have any experience in them. And so what I said to Captain Dolly, I said, for as long as you choose to do this, this is your chance to shine a light on investigations. Right. You came up in investigations. Now, you know, they get to be the focus. And the, the stuff that I focused on will continue because it's strong and we've put good foundations in place. But pick something else and make it your signature. Right. And, uh, you know, so he'll be able to do that. And, you know, ultimately, if he decides to put his hat in the ring to be permanent, he'll be able to do that more. And if not, then whoever is his successor will be able to pick their focus area right. and do that. Yeah, I definitely think we're in good hands with uh, Captain Dolly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, I had complete faith in any one of the three captains. We would have been in good shape with any one of them. Um, and I would have supported and happily supported any one of them. Um, but you know, when the mayor told me her, what her decision was, I absolutely have to, have to get behind that. Right. Anything else you want to talk about? So it's, are you familiar with the podcast, uh, things cop, things police see? No. So I think I read the book though. There, I think there was a book or. It, it's different. Uh, there's there's a book with a similar title, but it's not the same guy. He's a mass. The host of Things Police See is a Massachusetts guy. He's from not too far east of here, and I've uh, messaged with him back and forth a little bit. And so it's a pretty good podcast. Both of you guys would like it. He um is a he's a working cop. He was came up on the job as a part timer here. Did some time in background investigations in California. Then came back and, and got back on the job here. Uh, originally from the Cape, and now he works out in the Valley, and uh, um. He, he has set questions that he asks all of his guests. And he's had guests internationally and all kinds of federal agents and stuff. But one of the questions he asks is, you know, can you describe your first hot call? And so I listen to it regularly. And I'm like, if I was ever on here, what would my first hot call be? And I, to be honest, I don't remember the first actual hot call. But um, so when I came out and break in, and I was breaking in on midnights, my break-in officer was former colleague. I won't say his name. Uh, his initials of DK. He's yeah. my he's my training partner for a number of years and team fellow team leader. And so we're driving down. Um, we're driving down Tyler. No, I'm sorry. We're just taking the corner from Tyler onto First, and a call came. A code three call came out. And I don't remember what the nature of the call was, but I was driving, 
because I was all excited. Like I felt the adrenaline dump and you know, jam my foot onto the gas. And I reached over to turn on the equipment. And he reached over and he turned the equipment off. He said, stop the car. I'm like, what? He's like, stop the car. I'm like, pull over. He's like, stop the car. So I stopped the car in the middle of traffic on First Street. And he just looked at me and goes, get out. <laughs> <laughs> so I got out of the car. And he walked around. He got in the driver's seat. He's like, get in. <laughs> I walked around. I got in the passenger seat. He turned the lights and siren on and he put it back in drive. And he took off. I'm like, what the hell just happened? That's the only memory I have about my first hot call is being demoted from driver. <laughs> So I can, not my first hot call, but I can tell you my first night. Remember we used to have the big cans of pepper spray? Oh, like yeah. the, so my first night, all night long, I was like, what the hell is wrong with my leg? My leg was burning. I, but you couldn't smell anything, right? So morning comes around, I get out, my leg is beat red because the pepper spray had leaked out of the can down into my uniform all over my thing. But because there was no aerosol to it, it just leaked and burnt my leg all night long. That happened to you twice then. Because you had a can let loose in your cruiser, right? I did have that too, yeah. <laughs> Maintain your equipment. So I, I was thinking of something funny earlier today. And I was, do, you remember, do you remember when you called me into the office because I trespassed the guy from the city of Pittsfield? No. Yeah. Well, he was, a, he was a, uh, going door-to-door selling stuff, and it had been going on for a week. And he was harassing everybody. Yep. So it wasn't just going door-to-door. He was, it was nonstop calls we are getting... And you called me into the office, and you're like, did you trespass this guy? He's from Albany. Yeah. Did you trespass this guy from the city? I'm like, well, not so. And that, not in those exact words. I told him if he came back and I had to deal with him again, we're, I was going to lock him up for trespassing into the city of Pittsfield. He's like, you can't trespass him from the city of Pittsfield. I'm like, well, I was taking care of the problem. Do you remember when we were, uh, when we were patrol officers, when – I'm not even going to say which community. When a adjoining community issued one of our frequent flyers a bicycle driver's license and oh. then revoked it because he was OUI bicycle. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so we used to deal with a guy uh, a lot who, uh, you know, unfortunately, he, he definitely was cognitively challenged, but he also was an alcoholic. And he he made his... He, but he, he was functioning, right? He, he had, could hold down a job and he made his living, his livelihood, his spending money, because he lived with his parents, but um, he made his spending money in the restaurant industry, generally as a dishwasher. But he kept getting drunk and he kept getting fired. So eventually he got a job at one of the restaurants down in Lenox, but he couldn't walk there, so he got a bike. And the chief of this agency, uh, you know, de- after dealing with him a couple times, he's like, I'm going to give you a driver's license for your bicycle, because he knew he was going to mess up and be drunk. And so he issued him the driver's license, and then they caught him drunk, so he revoked it. <laughs> <laughs> so he couldn't come back to town. <laughs> you can't get away with that stuff no. anymore. <laughs> no. um, so I, this, was, this was funny. I, uh, I, I wrote a – so you asked me about the book, but my, my first foray <laughs> into – writing was I, I wrote a short article for uh, law officer magazine when we were still patrol officers and um, it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a great article for me right it was about probably one of the worst uh, decisions I have ever made in my career and a valuable lesson learned so when I was still patrol officer and I was still able to uh, work undercover my partner's cover was burned and so they assigned me a new partner and the first time I was out with this new partner, we were doing a, um, we were doing a, a reverse, you know, trying to do hand to hands, and it was freezing cold in the middle of winter. And we didn't do this frequently, but for reasons I don't even know the reasons why we decided to do it. Instead of just driving in with our stakeout teams and setting up wherever we were going to set up, they gave us a covert car, and we drove in to the neighborhood that we were going to work in and then parked the car and walked trying to um, find some activity. And so it was freezing cold. There was nobody out there and we weren't having any luck. We weren't having any activity. And so we met up with our uh, backup teams and our stakeout teams and we decided we were gonna shut the operation down. But we were nowhere near the, the car when we made that decision. And so you know the importance of reading back to your, your, your partners and your team, I said when we, decided to shut the operation down. I said, okay, we're going to shut it down. But if we stay close, because if we stumble across something between here and getting back to the car, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to try to make something happen. 
and they acknowledged and i thought they they that meant well they were cold too so we start making our way back to the car they went back to the station and if we didn't have bad luck we wouldn't have any luck sure enough just as we're making our way back to the car we get approached by a car that wants to buy from us so we're you know partners wearing the wire and we're transmitting we're going to make this happen i don't know where our backup is and where they're coming from so I convinced the drive, female driver, male passenger, I convinced her to pull into a parking lot on Francis Ave to give us more time. And she does. And so we got her boxed in the parking lot and waiting for the cavalry to arrive. And we're giving the rip signal or the buy signal. And nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. So inexperienced rookie dummy, I decide I'm going to identify myself and make this arrest. And so I pull my badge out from under my, um, my outer clothing and I draw my firearm and I you know, and police put the car in park, you're under arrest, and she drops the car and drive, and she drives right at me, and I got caught on the hood of that car. Um, and, <coughs> you know, I'm leaning in the open driver's window, I'm shouting at her, my partner's screaming, and, uh, you know, I move my finger from a high index to on the trigger, and I, I literally remember, it's like, I am not going to do this. I'm not going to shoot somebody for $80 with a crack. Right. But I'm caught on the hood and the side view mirror. And so I roll off and I manage to get off the side of the car. I fall down, the car takes off, and uh, I'm not injured, thank God. And so we take off running, right, trying to get a plane. We're still transmitting, and we don't know nobody's coming. And we make it from that parking lot out to the intersection of Francis and Linden, and we turn the corner, I'm screaming, you know, trying to attract somebody's attention. And all of a sudden, um, porch lights start coming on. And I'd stop and I turned and I looked at my partner. I was like, stop running, holster up, get down on the ground. And he looks at me and goes, what are you talking about? I was like, they're, because we could hear sirens now. And I was like, there's sirens coming, but they think we're just a couple random black guys running down the street with guns. Trying to right? jack somebody. Yeah. I was like, just get down on the ground. And so we're just lying there uh, on the sidewalk on the edge of Linden Street when patrol showed up. And, uh, you know, I, I had some, uh, pretty significant bruises on my ribs and on my back where I fell. But, you know, it's, you know, ego, stupid, unsafe. Um, but, you know, it, that experience stuck with me because it, it made me learn quickly to make good, solid tactical decisions. And you both, you've heard me say this in supervisory trainings. If you're going to make a decision, just make a decision that's not going to make it worse. Right. That's that incident is why i i preach that so much so just real quick on the last one just i don't know how many more minutes we got but we got a few more minutes um i wasn't gonna let you go without talking about the turkey call because that's oh, gotta come be on most, man that'd be your most infamous call come on there's, there's still a lot of misunderstanding and uh, <laughs> misinformation about the turkey call i think pete is outside right now protesting I'm sure there's the guy who was marching up and down north street in the turkey costume with the crosshairs <laughs> on it yeah um you know, it's, um, I, I don't even know, right? That, that, that story has been mistold so many times. Um, that, that was a horrifying, that was, that was just a horrifying period of time in not just my career, in my life. I, I have, I had, um, as a, as a young person, I had a, a scoutmaster uh, that I came up with his son, Cubs, Weebelow's Boy Scouts. He's a big game. He's a big game hunter. Like, you know, he regularly traveled all over the country to, to harvest game. And uh, I had lost touch with him. I had no connection. And, I mean, this, this is a dude who his house has mounts all over the place. I got a letter from his wife just demeaning and defaming <laughs> me. Because, and so, just if you're not familiar with the story, I ultimately, after officers assigned to my shift, made a decision um, to shoot a couple turkeys for public <laughs> safety reasons. I ended up euthanizing the second turkey. And my, I'm the only one who got dragged. Like, we, to this day, nobody knows the identities of the other officers because I, I won't say it, right? Um, you know, th the names will be. <laughs> we don't say the names to protect the not so innocent um but yeah so i euthanized a wounded animal and this woman who's married to a guy who harvests animals monthly is like accusing me of being a vicious killer <laughs> I'm like, 
you live with somebody who deliberately <coughs> kills things. I had to put an animal down because it was injured. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there was a lot to that. The, I, I told you the story the other day. We long before that ever could have come to pass. Uh, we um, had a we had a shift event planned at a local restaurant that night. Right. And so after I took care of, you know, getting cleared, for, and I had to leave work that day, you know, I couldn't stick around. I had family stuff going on. So after I took care of everything that I had to leave work for, I go walking into this local restaurant and the other officer involved, like the guy who was the prime, he's sitting at the bar with a headdress on with the turkey feathers from the turkeys. <laughs> And, and, and the story's out already. Like people, there's like ah boo boo, and I'm like that dude, right? But you know, I, I won't identify him. There's a funny story associated with that. So uh, I don't. I think I was a sergeant. So there's a um, there's a custom firearms company that was founded here in Berkshire County. The principal is a former Massachusetts State Trooper. They're not located here anymore. But when they were a startup and they were um, first kind of like making a name for themselves, we had, um, at the time, the department had one AR-15 rifle. As a, as a training coordinator, I had convinced Chief Riello to let me go get one following the North Hollywood bank robbery shootout to kind of try to figure out what we should be doing. And um, we had it. It was assigned to the team. Nobody was doing anything with it. It wasn't, it wasn't ever being deployed. And so I had done um, a favor for this guy. And he's like, do you, have a, do you have a rifle platform? And I was like, yeah, I got one. He goes, bring it to me. And so we took a conventional AR-15 rifle and I delivered it to him. And he delivered it back to me as a short barrel rifle conversion that he had completely redone. Like all the furniture and all, all the anodization was redone in flat dark earth. And they had installed an EOTAC holographic sight on the top of it. And when he handed it to me, he rolled it over and laser engraved into the top of the EOTech optic was a running turkey in the crosshairs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> yeah. The great turkey massacre. Well, I think we're in good hands coming up. Absolutely. We've got a lot of great young officers out there doing good work. So you're going to have to come back so we can talk about you. <laughs> you're the guest oh, that we spent right. the whole time talking about me. All right. We can do that. Just let me know when. And I'll be here. So we're not going to get into the details, but you got to say something to the viewers and listeners about this T-shirt you're wearing. Well, it's funny <laughs> about this T-shirt was you walked in and handed me the picture, but I had already made the T-shirt. Did you have to have a new one made, or did she still have one kicking around no, from I, somewhere? I had this one made up yesterday. <laughs> I had this one made up yesterday. Somebody had a few too many. was asleep. That was, that was the Saturday night before we started the Academy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was the Saturday night before she started the academy. That was the, that would exp yep. that was the Saturday right. night it, yeah. because it, that was my, you know, we use the military term, the wedding down. We had scheduled a promotional party right. at our apartment to celebrate me making sergeant. And that party was on the calendar before I got assigned to the academy. Right. And so we had the party scheduled. I got assigned to the academy. She got picked up and assigned to that class. And we couldn't schedule, cancel or reschedule the right. party. So the party had to go on Saturday, and she had to report to Sergeant Wynn's class on Monday. <laughs> Somebody had too many in this picture. Probably both of us. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So you've been listening to On Patrol with the PPD on WTBR 89.7. FM Pittsfield Community Radio. This has been a stroll down memory lane for me. Uh, that was not how I anticipated this show going today. So thanks, Mark. Thanks, Matt. Uh, going back to our normal tradition, just to wrap up real quick. Lieutenant, plans for the weekend? Uh, EMT studies. EMT studies. Is it research or are you still? My old cert is 30 right. years old. So, so you're going through the whole thing again. Sergeant, plans for the weekend? Uh, probably fishing and some ice cream. Fishing and some ice It's going to be rainy. That's all right. We'll make it work. All right. I, I think I've talked about it the last couple of times. I have been una unable to train for uh, nearly two months because of this issue that I'm having with my shoulder. But I got the cortisone injection, and I've had uh, both a PT session and a body work session, and um, it's feeling better. So I'm keep my fingers crossed and get some training in this weekend. I actually have to travel. There's a... Uh, there's a 
police-specific ground control class being held in the eastern end of the state by another on-the-job black belt. And I've been invited both as a practitioner and a post-commissioner to attend that and participate in that. So I'll be traveling to go do that on Saturday. And then, uh, you know, a little bit of rest and recouping. All right, thanks for tuning in. It's uh, I'm not sure if we'll be live next week, but if not, we'll have a rerun. Until we see you again, stay safe, stay healthy, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.